welcome to the Modern Mamas podcast. We're two modern mamas with a goal to inspire empowerment, self-love, deep physical and spiritual nourishment, holistic health, and joy, no matter your journey, gender, or perspective. I'm Laura of Radical Roots. I'm a certified CrossFit trainer, certified nutrition consultant, and mama to Evie Wilder. And I'm Jess of Hold Space Wellness. I am a level one CrossFit trainer, a licensed and certified athletic trainer with a master's in kinesiology, and mama to Bear and note that while we're here to provide advice and insights, we aren't medical practitioners and always recommend that you check with a trusted provider before implementing any changes. Thanks for joining us. We are so happy you're here. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Modern Mamas podcast. We have probably one of our most exciting guests to date with us today. We have Dr. Benjamin Lynch, author of Dirty Jeans. And we're going to be talking to him about his new book, about his kind of passion, how he got to where he is today. And then we have probably had the most overwhelming response in terms of questions from you guys for this particular guest. So we are going to actually cut to the chase pretty quickly. We're going to skip over a lot of the the fluff that we usually have in the beginning because we have so many questions. You guys were so great about submitting, Um, but it seems like you guys are super familiar with him and his work. And just really in tune with kind of what he has to say and what he's offering in terms of information as far as um, genetics, genetic testing, and how we can have a, an effect on the, those, um, the things that we find through genetic testing. So we're going to jump in. Dr. Lynch, thank you so much for being here today. We are so excited. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for the invite. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, I'm going to introduce to you guys um, a little bit about him if you aren't familiar with him, but Dr. Lynch is... So, Indy, what what is that? What um, That is a naturopathic physician. Okay. Dr. Lynch is an ND. He received his cell and molecular biology um, BS from the University of Washington and his doctorate in naturopathic medicine from Bastyr University. His passion for identifying the cause of disease directed him towards nutrigenomics. <laughs> did, I, did I nail that? You nailed okay. it. Okay. And methylation dysfunction. Currently, he researches, writes, and presents worldwide on the to- topic of MTHFR, methylation defects, and genetic control. You may learn more about Dr. Lynch and his work at drbenlynch.com. Dr. Lynch is also the president of SeekingHealth.com, a supplement company oriented towards disease prevention and health promotion. He lives in Seattle, Washington with his wife, Nadia, and three boys, Tasman, Matthew, and Theodore. So you've got quite the extensive background. And um, first of all, your your boys' names are amazing. T- Tasman, is that a family name or is that something that you guys just l- fell in love with? Well, I was a, well, I still am a avid traveler. And when I was traveling in the South Pacific, namely New Zealand and Australia, I kept seeing Tasman this and Tasman that. And uh, I thought it was a cool name. And then I just found out it was named uh, all these areas were named after Abel Tasman, who discovered New Zealand and Tasmania. And I fell in love with the adventurous spirit he had and the places he discovered. So hence my son's name. I I jokingly say that, one, I, I had to find a woman who would uh, <laughs> agree to name our first son Tasman. And secondly, I joke because Tasman is, is definitely a, an avid uh, explorer himself. He's constantly on the go. And so I I joke that I sometimes, maybe we should have named him Couch. <laughs> couch Potato. <laughs> yeah. Couch Potato he is, Lynch. 
Yeah, he is on the go, that one. That's awesome. I always wonder about that because our son's name is is Barrett. He goes by Bear. And he's very nice. much like personifies that like that name to me. And I wonder, did we influence him by naming him Bear or was he just naturally like that's who he is? It's just fascinating to me. Or did his naming result because it fit him right. who he was? Yeah, it's it's uh, it's interesting how all that works. The chicken or the egg? It's it's it is very interesting to me. Um, so tell us. So today we're going to be talking to you about a lot of things. Your book, Dirty Genes, which is a breakthrough program to treat the root cause of illness and optimize your health. We're also going to be diving into some of our specific interests being a kind of a podcast that focuses on motherhood, postpartum, pre-pregnancy, conception, and, and pretty much all the, the health aspects that go into that. Um, so we're going to talk about re- genetics in relation to conception, pregnancy, our kiddos. Um, and we have a ton, like I mentioned before, a ton of amazing listener questions um, that we're going to challenge you with today. Um, but before we dive in... I always, we always do kind of like a fun icebreaker question to just kind of get things going, but this is totally off topic, but do you, I know I picture you as this just like totally, uh, I guess, intellectual person that reads, you know, genetic books for fun, Uh, but do you ever mindlessly binge like on Netflix or Netflix shows like pretty much the rest of the country or is that something that you don't partake in? Well, you know, there was a point when I did. But I sit so much with my job, especially since we're remodeling our current home. My stand-up desk is in storage because it's too big. Uh, So I sit too much. So I instead, I am much prefer to go hiking or Mm -hmm. out in nature or skiing or playing basketball or soccer with my boys. That's awesome. Um, Yeah, I I do like Netflix uh, at times, but it's. I can't stand the the additional sitting, to be frank. Yeah. <laughs> that, I totally get that. I understand that. I'm pretty much on the go 24-7 with my, my full-time job. So sometimes it's like the end of the day I collapse and uh, Netflix is, is there for me, you know? So, But I, yeah. totally, I totally understand if it was the reverse, I would want to be outside and active for sure. So are your boys, they old enough to like hike along with you and be active and, and all that? Oh, yeah. That's yeah, it. the youngest is nine. Okay. Theo is nine. Matthew's 12. And Taz is 15. And, and uh, yeah, we, I, was, I was contemplating uh, skipping going skiing today, which is why Elizabeth rescheduled with you three times. Sorry about that. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> but I was like, no, my, I couldn't get my boys to skip school. Isn't that weird? <laughs> that I couldn't get so... my kids to skip school <laughs> with me. That's like my, that was my dream come true back when I was a kid. Like I wish my parents would have asked me to skip school with them. Yeah, it was, it was crazy. I I was floored. Theo was like, dad, I'll go, I'll go. I said, yeah, but we need, we need to sucker more into your other kids. But Tasman has got uh, high school soccer tryouts. Oh, so so that's important. That's a big one. Matthew, who knows? (laughs) So let me ask you this from a parenting perspective. Does it get easier as they get older or is it just difficult in different ways? Um, it's unique in different ways. You know, I, I, I would say the difficulty, I, I don't really use that word anymore. Um, probably because of all my, I read a lot of books on, on, uh, growth and personal development and mindset. So I, I try to reframe things. So I, I don't think it's difficult so much as a, a continuous learning experience right. every day. It's new. I mean, Every day it's new. And I, I've learned that 
I am who I am and they are who they are. Mm -hmm. And I can shape them in, you know, making sure that their societal, uh, you know, things are right, but their values are their own. So I can't be changing their values to align mine. I mean, honesty is, you know, and you know, all that, that's, that's one thing, but you know, I, it's, it's gotten a lot easier since I've accepted that. Right. And, uh, you know, they, they are great, uh, human beings, all three of them. They all have extraordinary strengths in, in certain areas and weaknesses in others, just like all of us. But I, I think it, honestly, it's, it's the same. Yeah. It's the same. Yeah. It's, it's an ever learning uh, journey. And I think it will be that way because we are always a mother and we are always a father. And, you know, no matter the age that they are, they're still our kids and we will always be there as a, a role model and a parent to them. Absolutely. I love that perspective. Um, Dutch, that's, we talk about that a lot on this podcast in particular. Um, and we've had a, quite a bit of like parenting, not, I wouldn't say experts, but people in that realm that have, are echoing kind of the same sentiments that you, you're, you just said about, you know, how it's, you reframe it, your mindset has to be different and you know, you approach your children as individuals and your job is to kind of, kind of, I don't know what the word is, like tuss out who they are and support them and help them grow. I mean, obviously, like you said, you want to instill some really basic human like components to them, honesty being one of them, but realizing that they're all going to maybe display those qualities in different ways. So that's amazing. Do So instead of the Netflix question, do you have a favorite book, um, that you've been reading for fun or like even mindset book book that you would recommend to people? I have a number. I'm not a person of favorites. I, uh, I, I'm, I did a personality test. Uh, there's a book I read, uh, called fascinate. Okay. And, and, uh, she also has a personality quiz. I think it's called howtofascinate.com is her website. Uh, but Sally Hogshead, she was a, a huge marketing, uh, genius and still is. And, so you, you do your personal avatar and you figure it out. And my avatar ended up being the change agent. So I thrive on change and, wow. and my op, my wife is the absolute opposite. Uh-huh. She likes consistency. Uh-huh. <laughs> so uh-huh. it's pretty interesting. Um, so she helps ground me. Uh, but it, in terms of favorites, that's probably why I don't have favorites, but I would say, uh, some books that I'm constantly recommending, uh, are essentialism. Um, that's a really, really big one. I'm not good at names, so I don't remember names, but Mm -hmm. essentialism, you just Google that. It's about the essential things in life. Right. And, uh, really narrowing them down. Uh, the one thing. Oh, um, that's a good one. Yeah. By the guy who started the, you know, Keller Williams real Mm -hmm. estate. Um, that's a really good book. I, I love that. You can't chase two rabbits. And if you try to chase two rabbits, you catch none. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm always trying to chase four or five rabbits. <laughs> That's like yeah. modern day and age, I feel like. You're just yeah. constantly having to deal with multiple variables. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm working on that. Yeah. And then tying in with that would be the values factor, um, which is a new read for me. And I'm, I'm like on page 50. Um, but I, I'm really liking this. This was recommended to me by uh, Sean Croxton of seancroxton.com, okay. um, who has the quote of the day uh, podcast show, which I really enjoy. Um, I'm gonna, that's amazing. Some amazing recommendations. I'll link all of these to, um, in the show notes so that people can have access to them, but amazing. Thank you. You've given us, go ahead. Do you have more? 
Yeah, there's yeah. another one. I do not like the name, and I think this is why it sat on my shelf for so long <laughs> without reading. Think and Grow Rich. Oh, my gosh. That's on my husband's – it's on our desk right now. It's so good. Yeah, it kind of like turns you off a little bit with the, with turns, the, yes, yeah, with the title, but he raves about it. So you recommend yeah. it. Highly. And I, you know, think of the growing rich. I mean, yeah, it's, it's money as well, but it's, it's, it's rich, you know, it's, it's inside too, you know? Um, and I, I highly recommend the audible version there okay. because you get to hear Napoleon Hill's voice at times using the old microphone and it's got this really cool old world charm. I mean, I have the book itself too, but yeah. the audible version, you get stuff out of audible by hearing versus just reading Absolutely. And I, I really enjoy the audible version of that one. Amazing. Well, thank you for the recommendations. You've got me quite the, the reading list to dive into after I finish your book first and foremost, but yep. <laughs> those will be on the list. Um, so now kind of transitioning, can you tell us, um, I guess, a little bit about the book? Or actually, let's let's back up a little bit. Tell us kind of how you got to where you are right now. How I know we we heard a little bit in your bio of your education and stuff, but what really drove you to deep dive into this this topic of genetics? Well, I, I think it, it stems down to all the way back in my childhood. I, I was writing a, a piece uh, for something, and I don't remember what, but it, it reminded me that my my father used to nick he nicknamed me Hawkeye. And I, he would ask me to get something or find something and he would drop it or he would lose it or he'd ask me to go get something. And I'd always find it every single time. Mm-hmm. And I, I love finding things. I love discovering things. Uh, I was always the next guy, you know, go on a, on a hike and I'd always want to see over the next hill and the next hill and what's mm-hmm. around the next corner and traveling the world. I'm the same way, but I'm also the why guy. I like to, I like to figure out why things happen. I was probably that annoying kid that always looked up to my dad and said, why, why? <laughs> and, uh, so between those two things, uh, genetics is an endless, uh, there's endless hills, endless corners and endless whys to be asked. And it also allows us to look at the body in a way that is scientifically accurate, um, you know, as far as science is these days. And I would say science is pretty advanced. Mm-hmm. And so when we, we start talking about things like meditation is important or breastfeeding is important or, you know, positive mindsets and affirmations are important or vitamin C is important, I can look at various genes and explain why these are important and using the National Library of Medicine to back up these claims. So basically, I'm, I'm proving uh, the natural approaches to life uh, all the way down to the genetics, and people can't rebuff that. Right. And it's really, really cool. And as a naturopathic physician, you know, I, I'm labeled as a quack very, I wouldn't say often anymore, but, you know, NDs are, are known as the kind of the quack uh, doctors and MDs are known as the scientific ones. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, you know, I, I would say that the gap is really, um, narrowing big time with functional medicine and naturopathic medicine. Um, we're kind of, you know, tag teaming and supporting each other big time nowadays because standard medicine knows that what they do is entirely great for chronic disease. So now mm-hmm. there's functional medicine to help with that. And NDs are really the champions of that. And so we're also helping functional medicine doctors to take it even into step further and so genetics helps do that. Do you current? Do you see patients, or do you not work one on one? 
anymore. I used I used to, um, and then I I stopped because I I'm all about leverage and, and increasing efficiency, mm-hmm. and. I realized that I could do way more mm-hmm. uh, versus helping uh, one-on-one and, you know, eight to 10 people a day. So now I can help thousands of people a day all right. across the planet. Um, and the root meaning of doctor is docere, which means to bring forth or to educate, to teach. Mm-hmm. And so a doctor's job really is to guide. And so I don't do acute, I never really did acute care, even though I scored really, really high in emergency medicine on my right. board exams. Um, I, so I, I wanted to, I want to help more people because I believe firmly that prevention is best. And if we can get the right information out to people, which they were never taught in health class or mm-hmm. standard schooling or nutrition or what have you, um, I feel that if we can get that information out there, people can generally be healthy and stay healthy and not even need uh, the majority of doctors, which is a big reason why I wrote the book. Absolutely. And it's, it's crazy to me because I live in this world where, you know, functional medicine is, is totally acceptable. And the people that I've surrounded myself with believe that too, but just the reaction, the response that I got when we put out a call for questions to our listeners, um, it's, it was so encouraging because I mean, thousands of people that listen to the podcast are also very aware of what you're saying in terms of like, prevention. And I want to get some testing done. I want to see how I can prepare my body for pregnancy the best, how I can, um, you know, prepare my kiddos, like set them up for health. And that's super encouraging to me. I mean, I feel like as a whole, people are taking more ownership of what they can do and are empowered more to seek out people such as yourself and the information that you're bringing to to the table versus where like my parents, for example, they go to the doctor because they want the doctor to prescribe them something to fix what is bothering them right now. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There's not a long-term mm-hmm. view or, a, or it really any sense that like I have control over this to a certain degree. Um, so it's just encouraging. And obviously that's maybe the byproduct of the time they were raised in as well. But um, you know, it's just encouraging. I'm so glad you're doing the work and you're here to, tell us more about it. So thank you again. Yeah, my pleasure. And, and on that, you know, a couple of things I also remembered about why I like genetics is because genetics helps explain the individual mm-hmm. versus the masses. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we try to utilize things like public health, which, you know, has a lot of, of great things uh, with it. But the individual is what I believe is most important. And we need to start focusing on individualized medicine, individualized recommendations. And so, you know, things like the paleo diet or GAPS or keto or Mediterranean or coconut oil or, you know, one size does not fit all. Mm -hmm. And so we need to understand why certain people respond favorably and why others don't. And genetics helps uh, really dive in with that. Fantastic. So then tell us a little bit about your book, because I'm assuming, and what I've read so far, your book kind of dives in, into that concept a little bit more. So tell us about Dirty Jeans. Really, I guess what's the most important takeaway from the book as a whole, and then maybe in relation to our audience, when we're talking to mothers or, or women that are planning to become mothers or that already are and want to use that information to make decisions for their family. So just Tell us a little bit more about the book because I know it's fascinating. 
Yeah, I would say that the biggest takeaway I, you know, why Dirty Jeans is out there is because there's too much fear and uncertainty and people feel like there's a lack of control over their genes. And so the primary focus and, and job of Dirty Jeans is to reverse that completely, is to tell people and inform people that, hey, you know, your genes are your beck and call and you are giving them the tools that they need in order to work. And if you give them the wrong tools, they're going to scream at you and give you symptoms. If you give them the right tools, they're going to allow you to do it anything that you you know, practically can achieve. Mm -hmm. And that's really, really cool. And it changes the whole paradigm when you're going into the doctor and you're checking the boxes of family history of heart disease and cancer and diabetes and stroke and blah, blah, blah. You know, you, you might have that family history, but that does not mean that you're destined to it. Mm -hmm. And the, the cool thing is, is I talk about seven main genes. I call them the super seven. There's really eight. Um, but I talk about the super seven and each one of these genes has a major, major role in, uh, each of the main, uh, body systems that you have. You know, you go to the ENT for eyes, ears, nose, and throat doc, right? Mm -hmm. You go to the neurologist for your nerves. You go to the gastroenterologist for your gut. So I break, I chose these genes to break down, uh, and identify these main body systems. And once you understand the roles of these genes, what they do, what their job is and how they like to get their job done, uh, i.e. the tools that you provide them through diet, lifestyle, mindset, environment, and vitamins, and so on, and then how they get dirty, you know, versus, you know, things like chemicals or too much protein or too little or, you know, maybe genes that you're, they're already born slightly uh, slower, faster. Mm -hmm. Once you learn how they get dirty, then you can, then I give you tools on how to uh, identify if they are dirty uh, very easily without testing, and then you can clean them up. And I give you tools to, to do that. And the last resort I want people doing is using supplementation. Mm -hmm. The primary thing I want people to do is understanding that their choices that they make every single day are affecting their genes. And so if you change your breathing, you change your sleep habits, you alter what food you're eating and when and how uh, and why these certain foods are supporting each genes or certain chemicals that you should avoid and certain vitamins that you should seek out for in your food and lifestyle things that you should be really considering. Uh, it's really cool and, and uh, powerful for folks. That's amazing. I, I'm so excited to, to learn more. And with that, we can kind of transition directly into some of the questions because so to start off, say someone is listening here and they're like, oh my gosh, that's something I really want to dive into. Um, we had this as a listener question. Are there certain tests that you do recommend, certain companies that you found do a really great job? Um, how would one go about starting to, I guess, deep dive into their own genetic composition? Well, I really encourage people first um, you know, and this might sound like a conflict of interest, but I, I've learned the hard way mm -hmm. is I, I really don't want people getting their genetic testing done first. Okay. Because what happens is if they get their genetic testing done first, say they come back with a MTHFR uh, mutation, variant polymorphism, SNP, whatever you want to call it, right? So let's say that they find on their genetic report something is, you know, according to their doctor, not quite right. Okay. Okay. What are they going to do? They're going to react and they're going to want to fix that thing on the piece of paper. Right. Right. But I've learned that is not the right approach. What the right approach is, is you need to understand how these genes work 
how your lifestyle choices affect them, and are you doing the right things first of all, and and then as you go through and you improve your life choices, and I, I explain why in the book, and to clean up all of your genes, okay. then you can look at these, then you can order genetic testing if you want, but you don't really need it because the quizzes in the book show you real time if your genes are dirty or not. Okay. That makes so a ton of sense. It, and it, you know, I developed a, a tool called Stratagene, which is a genetic report based upon 23andMe genetic testing. And, you know, you, so you take your 23andMe test, you, you only need the cheaper one too. You don't need okay. the more expensive one. The more expensive one is pretty worthless in okay. my opinion. <laughs> Great if, to if, know. Yeah. If, if you go ahead and look at the health reports though that 23andMe offers, if you think they're useful, go for it, mm-hmm. you know, and you have the resources to get it, go ahead, you know. Um, you know, but I, I personally don't think, you know, if you eat asparagus and it tells you your pee stinks or, um, (laughs) you know, if you have brown hair and you actually have red hair or your eyes are supposed to be hazel and they are hazel, who cares? Um, (laughs) you know, who really, who cares? We already know that sort of to a certain degree. Yeah. (laughs) So, and then you run your, you, you, you take the raw data and you export it and you put it in a strategy, which is this genetic report, which we can get into later, but it's, it's more in depth, more pathways, um, diagrams. It's pretty overwhelming to people. Um, like a so lay I, person would be kind of lay, like, I don't know yeah, where to start. Yeah. Lay person will say, I do not know where to start, but if they are reading dirty genes and using strategy at the same time, that's, we have folks doing that a lot of folks and they really enjoy it. But I, I still would say, you know, just spend 18 bucks, get the book okay, and, um, start there and okay. get excited first and because um, genetics is a whole nother dimension that uh, can really distract you from yeah. the basics. Yeah. And so what you're saying is in the book, there are some basic, I guess, lifestyle environmental factors that you recommend for everybody and say you start changing your those factors and, and kind of making those changes and you see improvement and there's no issues based on some of the quizzes that you're saying, then basically you're cleaning up your genes that way. Um, more. And, yeah. And so you don't necessarily like knowing that would be intriguing, like what you, if you have SNPs or whatever mutations, but not necessary in that you've already started to like change. Them. Yeah. And so, yeah, exactly. Because I want people to understand the big picture and we cannot forget the big picture. You know, if, if you're leading a life that's, you know, your go, 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 your type A personality, as I describe in the book, you're a slow COMT type and a slow COMT, a COMT is a gene. Mm-hmm. And the gene can be working slow or fast or medium, okay? And so if it's working slowly, there's a benefit to that because you have higher dopamine, higher norepinephrine, higher estrogen levels, so your skin is glowing, you're more fertile, uh, you, um, you get your stuff done, you're type A, you're driven, you're, out, you know, you're, you're not really outgoing, you're more of an introvert, but you're super productive. Mm-hmm. Uh, the downside is you're more irritable, you tend to have insomnia, PMS, look out, you're, <laughs> you know, it's not good. Right. Um, you know, and, and so and you, you drive yourself into the ground so you burn out. So you know, when you're reading that chapter, you're like, oh God, you just described me. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, so you, you have a slower COMT and you can make simple modifications like lowering your protein intake, uh, in the evening to help with sleep. You can need more magnesium because magnesium supports this gene. Your methylation is a process which you learn about in the book and you have to support that. 
And, um, you know, there's certain tests that I recommend to make sure that that gene is working right. If you need to like certain, I, I saw on your, your website that you recommend the Dutch test. Mm -hmm. And so a Dutch test is a great way to see if your CMT is dirty or not. That's amazing. Um, it's so funny that you brought up that, um, the COMT because I posted something on social media about, and this is all anecdotal feedback from different people that are more well-versed in genetic stuff than I am. But I posted something about how whenever I, and I know a lot of people do this, but I get very invested in um, like shows, characters, books, and I have a hard time after the the shows of the books are over. I, I dwell on it. I have, I guess the, the emotions, the feelings stay with me for a really long time. And someone had, had mentioned that that could be, I guess it's associated with something with that specific gene, the COMT function or whatever, like processing of like neurotransmitters. Have mm -hmm. you ever heard of that before? I mean, I guess it's anecdotal in a way, but I, I've never I would, heard that before. Yeah, I think there, that's an interesting point. I, I'm sitting here racking my brain to yeah. see the association, but I'm not a, a psychologist, so right, I, I'm right. not sure of the connections. But I could, there's, there's, you know, oxytocin. So people who have higher levels of oxytocin tend to be more compassionate and caregiving uh, than others. So if you have a, a oxytocin gene that works more slowly and you have more elevated oxytocin, um, you know, that that could be. Um, and so that is a gene I do not discuss in the book okay. and I, you know, but that, that but, uh, I could see that being relevant. Yes. I'm sure there's so many individualistic factors that go into it, but it's just, it's fascinating to me that there would even be someone reaching out and saying, Hey, you should, you should check on this and see if it has anything to do with it. Um, they had recommended magnesium as well. And so I've already, um, again, I haven't had any genetic testing myself, but I've already started supplementing with that because there were some other, um, I guess, symptoms associated that she was mentioning that I was like, Hey, wait a minute. Yeah. That's, I, I deal with that. So, um, it's been, it's been fantastic already the response. So anyways, enough about me. I want to definitely dive into these listener questions cause they're amazing. Are you ready to tackle all, of, all of this? Okay. So the first question is about tongue and lip ties. So this listener wants to know, She's curious about tongue and lip ties, how gene mutations play a part in them. And if you have a baby that has these ties, should you get them tested? Is there, is it always a genetic association when it comes to this sort of thing? Yeah, these are great questions and I'm glad it was brought up because, you know, tongue tie is exploding. It's, mm -hmm. it's, uh, it seems like almost every kid now has some degree of a tongue tie or a lip mm -hmm. tie. It's, it's or a midline defect to some degree. It's, it's just, it's a mess. Mm -hmm. Um, I've done a lot of research in this area and I haven't looked at it honestly in the last, uh, couple of years, but you know, years ago I did a ton of it when I was working with Jennifer Toe, who's a lactation consultant and a very brilliant in this area. Um, Jennifer Toe is T-O-W. Okay. Um, and, uh, she would be someone great to have on your podcast too. Oh my too. gosh, I'm writing her down right now. Yeah, and so you can email me, and I'll get you her contact. Okay, perfect. Um, but she's she's great, um, and uh, super super knowledgeable and super passionate about this. Okay. Um, and so what I will say is, and this goes back to the premise of dirty genes too. I do not think tongue ties are really genetic. Okay. I think tongue ties are more epigenetic. We didn't really have many of these when we were kids. 
I didn't see them around. Did you? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, mean, I didn't know of it. I, my mom mentioned that I had trouble breastfeeding and we didn't continue to breastfeed. Um, and, my, and just full disclosure, my daughter had like tongue, lip, and buccal ties uh, mm-hmm. when she was born. And so, again, yeah, I don't think it, she had no clue that that's what it was if it was anything like that. So, yeah, I would agree. Yeah. So, you know, basically, you need to understand that. You know, tongue tie is a lack of a process that is not occurring in any any tie. So these these uh, tissues in the body are supposed to be absorbed during development. They're supposed to be broken down um, and eliminated and, and naturally, and, and they're not. So there's a process in which uh, that's not occurring. And I believe this process is called sumoelation. And uh, this process has a lot to do with vitamin A, has a lot to do with uh, viral infections, uh, especially during the first trimester or any type of infection. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think the women be getting the flu shot right away upon pregnancy might be translating and telling the body, hey, there's an infection mm-hmm. and pulling resources away from the methylation cycle and so on. So I am very, very against uh, the flu shot uh, during pregnancy. Um, for the pregnant woman. Um, and so is Dr. Paul Thomas, who wrote the book, The Vaccine Friendly Plan, who's an mm-hmm. amazing pediatrician and colleague, friend of mine. Um, so I, I would say that you got to make sure your immune system is up to, up to snuff. Uh, try to uh, reduce uh, infections during the first trimester um, because these are highly, highly associated with increased prevalence of tongue tie. Okay. Um, folic acid, I believe is really disturbing the methylation process and we have folic acid everywhere. Right. Um, you know, it's not just in the prenatals that you're taking and hopefully you will be stopping those. You'll be (laughs) using more activated folates. Right. Um, but folic acid is pervasive, but I also think there's chemicals in the environment that are everywhere. You know, we have bisphenol A, we have fracking everywhere. We've got phthalates, we have increased pollution. Um, I have not looked at the chemicals, uh, in which are contributing towards uh, issues here. But I do know that bisphenol A and phthalates do interfere significantly with the methylation process. And, uh, you know, the microbiome is is also a wreck and the processed food that we're eating is really mm-hmm. altering our microbiome. So I do not believe it is a genetic problem. No, okay. I think it's epigenetic. So you haven't, or in general, they haven't directly associated some particular snip or, or something of that nature to the presence of lip and tongue ties in kiddos? There are, there are a couple, um, genes out there and I don't remember them offhand. Um, I reported them, uh, to Sterling Hill who runs MTGFR support reports. Um, and, uh, I gave her the snips there and I have them in a presentation. I think I have a free YouTube video actually on the internet, um, about tongue ties um, you just Google my name and tongue tie. Uh, I think YouTube has it. Um, if not, I will load it and put it out there, um, and get it freely available to all. But I I think that it is out there. Um, yeah. So, and then to kind of put a bow on that question, it's not necessary. So if a, so for instance, I'm using me myself as an example, but like my daughter, my son didn't have any of that stuff. Um, and then my daughter did, and we had to have you know, laser revision and all that stuff. Do you, would you recommend to, to myself or people in my kind of same predicament, um, testing or is it another thing just like changing lifestyle factors regardless to support 
cleaning up. Well, I mean, let's let's ask this question: You get testing, then what? Right. What what's the what's the what's the perp what's the purpose is curiosity, mm-hmm. right? Is to fulfill core curiosity and look for a cause. Mm-hmm. Okay, genetic testing I'm talking about, right. right? So, but the actions you take, you know, I don't think they're really gonna give you any concrete actions. You know, I think in the future we might see some genes that increase susceptibility to tongue tie, and I think there there already are a few. I just haven't looked at them. Uh, lately. Um, but I, I would say that, you know, I would really focus on, you know, what the book dirty genes offers in terms of the silk and scrub generally cleaning your genes protocol is plus supporting them uh, nutritionally uh, and environmentally, um, versus, you know, just going down to the genetic test. Cause I, I honestly, um, you know, genetic testing does have strengths. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It shows you where you have susceptible weak points and strengths and susceptibilities and you can alter your lifestyle uh, accordingly to support your genes, which is really cool. Um, but you can't do that until you get the foundation set. Right. Okay. Absolutely. Um, and I feel like a lot of what your answers are going to kind of come back to that. Okay. Like make sure that you like understand what's going on in general before you kind of deep dive into the specifics. Cause it's exactly like you said, you can kind of put a bandaid on one thing, but then you are maybe not necessarily doing all the other things that need to be happening in order to like, I guess, quote unquote, live your best life. You know what I mean? So well, let me give you, let me give you a concrete example. Okay. So I, so people can understand why I'm saying this. Um, you know, let's say you get a lot of your listeners know about MT Jafar, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's say you get your genetic test back and it shows that there's empty Jafar, you're, you're homozygous for it. You got plus plus on your genetic report and you're like, okay, that, that's the problem. That's it. <laughs> and you check your homocysteine, your homocysteine seven. You check, um, uh, you look at your diet, you eat a bunch of leafy greens, you already avoid folic acid, um, you, you, you eat whole grain, you know, whole foods, not whole grains, you eat whole foods and you, you know, you avoid chemicals and, and so on. You, you know, you, you got the basics down, mm-hmm. right? So it, you might have empty Jafar, but your lifestyle is not really showing you that empty Jafar is a problem. Mm-hmm. So what you do then is like, you look at the genetic test and you're like, oh, I have empty Jafar. I need to take more methylfolate. So now you're taking methylfolate and now you're becoming irritable and insomnia and headaches and rashes and you're actually worse than you're before and you're thinking, what the heck is going on? I have <laughs> right. MTHFR. I need more methylfolate. No, you don't. Your MTHFR gene, even if it's plus plus uh, in the slowest, you know, not, I mean, there, it can get really, really slow, which is really rare in the population. But generally speaking, you have a, you know, a 30 uh, percent capacity of your MTHFR gene still working. So if you're eating leafy greens and you're avoiding uh, folic acid and your thyroid is working well, you know, you, you don't really need more methylfolate. Right. But the genetic test is going to steer you that way mm-hmm. and you're going to make a, a rash decision based upon that. And a lot of genetic reports also tell you to supplement right. based upon your genetic results and they have no right to do that because they don't know you. They don't right. know your lifestyle or your diet or currently what you're taking. So I really frown upon people getting genetic testing and having those genetic reports tell them that you should be taking these things. Mm-hmm. It's, it's wrong. I love that. And I thank you for the clarification. I absolutely appreciate that. And I think it's going to make answering some of the questions as we move forward just that much easier because it's 
I think, um, and I'm going to generalize here, but as moms and women, a lot of times it's like, we, we want to know, we want to know the problem and we want to know how to fix it. And really it's, it's more complex than that. And I think the tendency is to jump on the, the first thing that we think is going to help us when in reality, it's a very complex interplay of like all these things, the lifestyle factors that you've talked about that are really going to make the biggest change. And that's what right. I'm gathering from you. You nailed it because, yeah. you know, we're, we're also taught that. We're also taught that A plus B equals C. Mm-hmm. We're taught that headache plus aspirin equals solution. Mm-hmm. We're taught that heartburn plus antacid equals solution. We're taught infection plus antibiotic is solution. So we're taught these one-to-one relationships, but the reality is the body doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. The human species would be dead, long dead gone if there was a one-to-one relationship because viruses would figure out that one-to-one relationship and knock us out and kill us. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, so there's a lot of built-in redundancies and there's a lot of gene-to-gene communication and there's a lot of backup systems uh, and so on. So you know, if there was one highway or one road going through your town and that was it, there would be a, a huge disaster, right? Right massive disaster. So we have redundancies built in. We have highways, freeways, side roads, shortcuts that we all love love and take, even though the neighborhoods uh, people don't (laughs) appreciate it. Um, So, you know, there's, there's all these redundancies built in and, uh, you know, transportation organizations get this and the human body is, is way more advanced than the most advanced transportation network out there. So you have to, you have to eliminate that one-to-one uh, relationship thinking, and it's hard because it's pervasive. Right. Absolutely. I, you, you nailed it too. Great, great explanation. I love that. Um, and so now as we move through these questions, I'm interested to see what you'll say again. Um, a lot of these are very specific situations, but this is a question that we got repeated, um, throughout because the big, I guess one of the biggest medical issues that we have right now is to vaccinate or not to vaccinate. And so this person wants to know about testing in regards to vaccination. She says she knows that certain SNPs can make one more prone to having difficulty detoxing when it comes to vaccinations. Um, Do you recommend, so, and again, I think I know your answer. I'm just reading the question verbatim, but do you recommend testing baby's genes before choosing to get vaccinations? And if so, at what age do you recommend it? And if they do come back with certain mutations, should vaccines be avoided? Okay. Well, I, I understand and I greatly appreciate this question. And, um, you know, I, I really do. And I, yes, there's probably a, a plethora of genes out there that increase susceptibility to vaccines. Um, I, I did a video and I, people do not appreciate it, uh, MTHFR and vaccines. And I said that we cannot use the fact that somebody is born with MTHFR and say that they're uh, medically exempt from vaccination. Um, if I did that, that would be professional suicide, uh, in that. And I don't really care about that if it's the right thing to do, mm-hmm. but it's the wrong thing to do because you cannot base a, such a massive recommendation on one thing, mm-hmm. right? So it all ties back to that thing. Now, if someone, if someone has MTGFR and a slew of other genes, that increase uh, immune dysregulation or detoxification issues, um, you know, or uh, neurotransmitter formations and elimination or inflammatory markers, 
you know, or, you know, all these, you know, some membrane stressors, you know, you put these combinations in, then yeah, there's definite increased susceptibility to risk there. But I would like to get a more uh, full on panel of genes that look at vaccine susceptibility and to let you know, I am working on this. Oh, amazing. I am working on, you know, Stratagene is a, is a great genetic tool that we have now, which has about 50 SNPs or so. But uh, myself and a, a, an amazing researcher that is also a naturopathic physician, um, we're working on Stratagene and, and making huge discoveries in the, in the medical literature that nobody reads. <laughs> we're finding that there's combinations of genes which really predispose one uh, to autoimmune or massive reactions uh, if there's um, uh, an exposure. So for example, I might get a, a viral infection and my body sees that and like, eh, yeah, big deal, you know, and let it fester a little bit and, right. until it gets bigger than my immune system. I said, okay, now I'm going to go attack it, you know, and that all comes down from my ancestors and, and, you know, what was most important to my ancestors for survival. And then there's other people who have the immune system. They get a little tiny viral infection and their immune system goes bonkers. Right. They're like yelling on all the fire trucks are going, ambulance, <laughs> police department, you know, the suicide prevention. I mean, they all are charging. I can picture it. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're just going nuts. And so your immune system, the smallest infection, your immune system goes crazy and it ravages out there and it just nails that virus. And the virus is like, whoa, what the hell guys? And then it's gone. It's gone, mm -hmm. but the, they're still running around. They're still looking for more viruses because they got scared. They got spooked. Mm -hmm. And now you're more susceptible to autoimmunity and damage, right? Because they're still out there fighting, even though there's no virus because they're, they take too long to calm down. You're like, guys, calm down. Like, no, 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 we're, we're we got to <laughs> be on the lookout, you know? Yeah. So, and so we, we have to look at these things. And so I do agree that genetics are a big player. We just don't know enough yet, okay. but I will tell you, uh, my team and I are getting really close and okay. we will be building a vaccine susceptibility report. Um, while it may not uh, dictate that it's uh, and be approved uh, for vaccine susceptibility and, and, and uh, avoidance, uh, it will definitely guide and, and support parents in the future to say, hey, you know, this is something to consider. But yeah. I have a lot more to share with that if, if you want me to say a couple more things. Absolutely, because I mean, this is... A We've yet to tackle this topic because I know it is so varied. I would love to hear your take on it. Um, it, it whatever else you have to offer, go for it. Okay. Well, I am presenting this weekend at the University of Washington on vaccines itself. Okay. Um, so uh, for an hour and a half, and we are going to be streaming it. Um, yes. So uh, we're going to figure out how to how to get that out there to people. Um, but I will say you got to reach out to also Dr. Paul Thomas, okay. who wrote the vaccine friendly plan. The guy is amazing. He's got an amazing heart. Um, you know, I think he has, uh, three or six of his own kids. Plus he adopted a bunch. Um, and he's got like 16,000, uh, uh, kids as patients. So he, he knows, yeah. he knows. Okay. Um, but in terms of the science, this is what I, I want patients or parents to understand is if you, if your pregnancy, if you're low in vitamin D or if you have an infection during pregnancy, careful with vaccinating your baby. Okay. That's simple. If you're low vitamin D or if you have an infection during pregnancy or your pregnancy was somewhat at risk, um, you know, due to, you know, maybe various meds you're on, anti-seizure meds like phenytoin or dilantin, or you're on SSRIs, 
um, you know, these things are going to increase the vaccine uh, injury risk. Okay. Uh, Tylenol, absolutely never, ever, ever, ever take it. Throw it away and never use it again. Gone. Trashed. Even when you're not pregnant? Even when you're not pregnant. Okay. Gone. Um, uh, they, they're finding more and more damning evidence and I can't believe it's still on the market to be honest. Okay. Um, and, uh, so I, I believe 50 million doses of Tylenol are taken every day. Mm-hmm. Um, so eliminate that from your cabinets and never give it to your kids, never take it yourself. Um, and then I would also say that glutathione is your body's number one antioxidant. And Jill James uh, is a phenomenal researcher who's uh, worked very hard in the methylation area uh, during for in looking at autism risk and so on. Um, and she's published many, many papers. And I have not had the fortunate experience to meet her yet, but I've read her papers uh, over and over again. Um, and she says that autism risk greatly increases in the children if their methylation cycle is not happy. So if your homocysteine is high, okay. that's going to be a sign that your, your methylation system is not working. So okay. careful with vaccinating your kid. Okay. If your glutathione levels are low, that's also a risk. And you can order your glutathione testing um, from companies like Doctors Data. Uh, you can also do organic acids and look at, you know, certain markers of organic acids to, to see if your glutathione levels are low. And the Great Plains does that. In fact, I have one sitting here in front of me now. So pyroglutamic uh, is a marker that if, when, if it's elevated, it shows glutathione deficiency. So you can do a simple P-test and see if your glutathione is low. And again, okay. that's pyroglutamic. Uh, it shows glutathione. So if that's low in you, it's going to be low in your kid. Uh, that, you know, it's going to be delivered and that's a risk for your okay. baby. Now, if the combination of low vitamin D, infection, uh, low glutathione and high homocysteine, do not <laughs> vaccinate your kid. Seems like the perfect storm there. It is a horrible perfect yeah. storm. Okay. Horrible perfect storm. Okay. And I, I will also share that uh, a great doc in practicing in the state of Florida, uh, Dr. David Berger, uh, brilliant MD who's working really hard uh, in this area as well for for prevention of autism. And uh, he has a very high success rate of, of not having any autistic uh, bursts in his clinic um, since he developed a certain protocol. And um, he had an interesting day, uh, moment when, you know, he's running labs on these autistic children and the mother came to him and said, you know, hey, you know, can you check my labs too? And he goes, I'm a pediatrician. You know, I, I don't I don't feel comfortable running your labs. She goes, well, I just can't get the labs drawn by anyone else. I'd appreciate it if you can run the labs for me. So he's like reluctantly, he's like, all right, fine. And, he <laughs> did it. and so the tests come back and, and uh, you know, he's, he's, he's going over the results uh, of also the test of, of the child, the woman's child. And discussing the findings because uh, he did the testing for her and her kid at the same time. And, and all of a sudden, uh, the woman and he look at the test and goes, oh, wait a minute. This is your test. This is not your kid. Wow. And so what he's found is the, the lab results of autistic children are mirror images of what the labs look like in the parent. That's, that's incredible. Yes. Wow. So empowering adults to figure out, you know, what their 
what's going on with themselves will ultimately empower you to know what's going on with your children. You have dirty jeans. Your kid has dirty jeans. Done. Done. End of story. We can probably end the podcast now. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. But I mean, really, like, I mean, that is in the nutshell what genetics is, the things you're passing on to your children. Um, That's that's incredible. Do you have any more about vaccinations or did we hit Oh no, I've I've I could go on for hours. <laughs> so I well, can go on for hours. So okay. I, um, yeah, I, I will say that uh, I will repeat what uh, Dr. Paul Thomas says: is if you're pregnant, never get the well, yeah, never get the flu shot. Okay. Never take Tylenol. Okay. And he goes, do not. I repeat, do not let them vaccinate using hepatitis B at birth. Okay. He goes, even if you opt out in the hospital and you get them to write on your chart, even they reluctantly do it. And it says clearly on the chart, do not vaccinate my kid with hep B because they do it at birth. He goes, you have to stand guard Mm -hmm. because the moment your baby's delivered, they take it, they weigh it, they check it and they bang, they vaccinate it. And it's routine. It's Mm -hmm. habit. So even if you write it in your chart, you have to be right there. And if you see a syringe being lifted up, you need to step in and intervene and say, no hep B. Okay. What does the hep, I'm sorry, I'm probably opening a can of worms and we have like 12 other questions here, but um, what does the hep B, what does that do? From my understanding, and I could be wrong, but from my understanding, according to Paul Thomas, it has the highest amount of aluminum in it. Okay. And it is, he, the vaccine-friendly plan, he found that if he remove the hepatitis B, B vaccination uh, from the standard schedule, the risk for autism goes way down. So it, the, the hepatitis B vaccine did not used to be given to newborns. Mm-hmm. It was given way later, which makes sense. Why vaccinate a baby for a sexual, sexually transmitted mm-hmm. disease if the mother and father do not have hep B. Mm-hmm. Now, if the mother and father have hepatitis B, okay. Mm-hmm. You know, or if they're IV drug users or there's IV drug users around, okay. But the majority of parents, probably 99% of them, do not have hep B mm-hmm. and they are not IV drug users. And so they should not be vaccinating their kid with hepatitis B until they are sexually of age mm-hmm. or getting there. You know, maybe you vaccinated them at 12. You know, um, but, you know, that's you don't do it right away. Okay. Hi, friends. Laura here. I am so excited to announce that the Modern Mamas podcast has joined forces with Paleo Valley. If you've been following me for long, you know that I absolutely love and appreciate their products because they've been such an important part of my journey to health. And then also now Evie's journey, especially with her first foods. Our absolute favorite in this household is the grass-fed organ complex. We also love the beef sticks and their brand new turkey sticks and take them with us basically everywhere we go on all of our travels. Some other of our favorites include the organic super greens, which are great for smoothie bowls or smoothies or just taking down the hatch right as they are. We love the grass-fed, non-denatured whey, the superfood bars, which are loaded with collagen, and um, I cannot wait to now try their new Essential C Complex. Don't miss out. You can get an awesome deal. Just head to our show notes for the discount code and link and try them for yourself. You will not be disappointed. Enjoy. Awesome. Awesome information. This is like mind blowing right now. Um, 
we're going to transition because again, I know we could talk about that for, for ages, but next question, um, how would, and you've, you've, if you feel like you've kind of talked about some of this stuff, we can, we can move on. I'm just going to read, read everything and you can kind of give feedback if you feel it's important, but how would you recommend preparing slash what would you test in preparation in preparation for pregnancy? So that's the first question. Um, what, what would you share about that? Well, I will share that in the appendix of Dirty Genes, mm-hmm. uh, Appendix A, okay. uh, I have a whole list of labs. So there's there's a list of generalized labs. Okay. And then there's labs that are very specific based upon each gene. And so if you have a dirty gene, uh, according to your quizzes, or you just want to be more, uh, you know, thorough, mm-hmm then you can order certain labs that are in addition to the general labs. And it's a, it's a list. Okay. It's a list. And, um, so I, I will, I will say that a digestive stool analysis test is very important. Uh, GI map test is okay. very, very important for, for pregnant women or, or women and men trying to conceive because okay. if your gut microbiome is a wreck, you're a wreck period. Right. And, uh, so you need to find a doctor who really understands uh, how to support that. And the GI MAP test, uh, spelled just like it sounds, is by Diagnostic Solutions. It's a very, very good, um, and uh, it it really finds a lot of bugs uh, that other tests will not find. Um, so you can get that done. Um, I really recommend looking at homocysteine levels. Uh, if your homocysteine levels are are you know, around six, seven, eight, nine, that's great. Okay. Um, nine is getting up there, but it's not terrible. If your homocysteine levels are five or lower, that's not good. Okay. That's not good. You want your home. Nobody talks about low homocysteine. I do have an article on drbenlynch.com about low homocysteine, which you can link to. Um, but if your homocysteine is low, you're not going to be able to make glutathione your body's number one antioxidant and you're not going to be able to make uh, and support your methylation because homocysteine supports both. So it's ridiculous to me that homocysteine does not have a low range um, on labs. Mm-hmm. Uh, too, too low is not good. Uh, anything above, I would say, eight uh, on your homocysteine uh, is not good. Standard labs, I believe it's anything higher than 13 or 15 is bad. Well, that's way too high. Right. It's way, way too high. That's like, it's already, that's like a, a problem at this point. It's a point. huge yeah. problem. Yeah. Your risk for dying of, of cardiovascular disease uh, greatly, greatly increases uh, when your homocysteine's at 15. So okay. why do we wait that long is beyond me. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, uh, that's another big one. Um, and then, um, yeah, there's there's a whole bunch of them, but I would th- say that those are the big ones. Uh, I would li- also like women to look at serum ferritin okay. to make sure that their iron levels are are sufficient. Um, you know, MCV, MCH, looking at anemias is great. You know, if your MCV, MCH uh, are borderline high or high, that's a B12 or folate deficiency. If your MCV, MCH are low uh, or lower than uh, what they should be, that's an iron deficiency. Um, but sometimes they're not really clear. And so ordering a serum ferritin is, is very useful because if your serum ferritin is low, 
then you might have a gut infection and your body's sequestering iron, i.e. pulling it out of your gut to, and your blood to try to keep it from infections using it because your pathogens and viruses will use it to their own uh, will to our demise. Um, so that's one thing to know about with iron. So if you try to take iron and you are low iron, low serum ferritin, and you feel worse, that's why I recommend the gut infection uh, big time. Okay. And then I would also look at... Um, what was the other one? Oh yeah. If serum ferritin is, is too high, then you might have a, a, uh, something called hemochromatosis and that increases inflammation big time and that causes problems too. Gotcha. Okay. And the Dutch test. Okay. Dutch test. The Dutch test is super important because if your hormones are out of whack, you, you possibly can't get, you know, maybe you're not fertile, maybe you're not Mm -hmm. ovulating, maybe you're irregular. Um, or maybe you can get pregnant, but you can't stay pregnant mm-hmm. and you run a risk of a miscarriage. So you can, those few things that I just knocked out with, with you all will, will help a lot. Okay. And, uh, if your Dutch panel, if your Dutch test comes back out of whack, don't even try to conceive, fix mm-hmm. it first. Okay. Absolutely. Um, and the Dutch test has gotten so much more popular. I know a lot of people, myself included, that have been considering doing that testing and um, just kind of floored by the results, you know. Um, yeah. It's just, yeah. it gives you a lot of information. Yeah. And, you know, Mark Newman, the, the owner of Dutch uh, test, and then uh, Carrie Jones, the, you know, chief medical officer there, she's she's awesome. They're just great people, okay. too. Amazing. Um, this question, I think we kind of answered a lot. It had some, some offshoots about managing pregnancy if you do have an MTHFR mutation or some other important SNPs. What would, what would be your gen- general, I mean, I guess it's not general, but what would be your recommendations in terms of how would this pregnancy proceed differently in terms of food, supplementation? Is there anything that people need to be concerned about? Um, you know, I... I I don't know if my recommendations would be different for someone who has MTHFR or who doesn't have MTHFR. Um, I would say, you know, it's you need to be more mindful that MTHFR is there and it's definitely causing a, a weaker link uh, during pregnancy, um, which needs to make sure that you are absolutely getting your leafy greens. Mm-hmm. And if you are not tolerating your leafy greens, then you need to be supplementing with folate uh, using folinic acid and methylfolate, both. Um now, if I've, I've seen this question multiple times. Uh, liver is also a, a great mm-hmm. source of folate, uh, even though it's, I, I personally can't stand it. Um, <laughs> but my wife, my wife enjoys it, which is great. And if yeah. you are eating liver, you know, make sure it's, uh, you know, from uh, a young animal mm-hmm. uh, versus old and uh, free range and not loaded with chemicals because liver stores all that. Mm-hmm. Um, so... If you're a person that says, hey, you know, look, I can't tolerate greens because they're too high in oxalates, then uh, use lower oxalate veggies. Uh, you can steam them. You can make soups, broths, um, and so on. Um, and I, I do know that oxalates are an issue for some people. And the biggest issue uh, that comes down to oxalate sensitivity is, again, the microbiome. So people who are tooting that that there are genes that increase oxalate uh, issues, yeah, but they're very, very rare. I mean, they're like one percent or lower. Um, it's more epigenetic, and it's more has to do with the uh, microbiome. Okay, 
Amazing. Um, on that same vein, she asks about treating a child who has, and, and you've kind of answered this too, but would there be anything uniquely that you would do with a kiddo if they do, if you know, for example, that they do have MTHFR mutation or some other like important SNP? Yeah. So I, I mean, I do, uh, you know, I've, I personally have MTHFR. I have a, you know, 60, 70% slowed MTHFR. I have the, you know, one twelve ninety eight and one six seven seven. So I'm compound heterozygous. I have one of my boys, Matthew is the same. And another one of my boys, Theo, he's compound. Uh, no, he's, uh, homozygous for 1298. So, you know, we have significant MTHFR in our family and, uh, Theo also has, uh, very other significant, uh, SNPs in his folate pathway. So we, we need to keep in mind that it's not just MTHFR, but Theo also has uh, a reduced ability to even transport folate in his blood hmm. um, by 50%. So his ability to move folate through his blood is reduced by 50%. Nobody really talks about the, the folate transport proteins and, and genes, which is a huge one. Um, so folic acid avoidance is really big. Um, plus he has MTHFD1, uh, which reduces his conversion to the type of folate which supports folinic acid and the, the next step to making methylfolate. So if that's slow, then your ability to make methylfolate is also slowed. And then if you have the folate transport protein, your ability to deliver even the folate or, or folinic acid or methylfolate to the cells or the receptors is reduced. Um, so Theo, he had some learning difficulties, uh, slowed uh, speech delay, and uh, he wasn't really growing. And so I was doing all these things and, and uh, I wasn't, I was getting somewhere, but I wasn't getting as far as I liked. And I don't like running to lab testing right away. Mm-hmm. Um, but I said, all right, I'm, I'm stuck. So I got uh, the organic acid test and his uh, FIGLU was high. And FIGLU is a marker of folate deficiency. And um, so I started giving him folinic acid and man, I turned the lights on in his brain. So oh I, I, I switched more from uh, methylfolate to folinic acid because methylfolate got him more anxious um, mm. and more moody. And I, when I switched him to folinic acid, um, it stabilized his moods. It, it helped him think. It, his, he grew. Oh, my God, he grew. Um, <laughs> He's like shot so, up. Yeah, all the boys are yeah. tall. Uh-huh. Um, so um, I we cannot forget the significance of folinic acid. And let me tell you briefly the difference between two. Methylfolate supports your methylation, okay. uh, i.e. homocysteine levels. So if homocysteine levels are high, methylfolate is great. Uh, if you're looking for uh, children um, and growth and, and blood cell formation, white blood cell, red blood cell, platelets, uh, fingernails, uh, hair growth, uh, skin repair, gut repair, uh, folinic acid is, 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 a, is a really big one. Um, is a really big one and it's, it's really key. So would you say, I know it's not just like, like I have a feeling that people will run out and be like, Oh, he said folinic acid is awesome. I'm going to start adding it to my children's supplement regimen. Is it something that most people will like, if I started taking folinic acid, would it be a good thing for me? Or is that another thing where it's very individualized? Like make sure you are not just like blanket taking something because it seems like a good idea for most people or is that, or is it one of those things that your body can always use well? Well, it depends on your diet and depends on what your activity levels are. So always, 
always first understand the, the, the function of genes and the, the tools that they need and what you're demanding of them. Okay. So in you, I walk through all this in the book. Mm-hmm. And so if, if you, if you are out and about and you're on vacation, you get a sunburn, then you are going to need more folinic acid to help your skin regenerate and get rid of that sunburn. So if you are out on vacation and you, you're enjoying the sun and you put sunscreen on after a, a, a bit of time, you know, then, um, you know, after you let the sun rays get you some vitamin D, then you can put on the sunscreen. Um, and you don't, you don't burn and you're, you're eating some, uh, salads over there and you're relaxing, having a good time. You're not really even drinking any alcohol. You're just thriving on the, the sunny environment. Then you probably don't need folinic acid. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're struggling with leaky gut, um, or you're trying to heal something, additional folinic acid could be really useful because you need folinic acid for cell growth and repair. Um, but one thing you should also know that is very, very common is if you, if you are supplementing with folates and you are increasing uh, cell uh, repair and cell growth, then these cells are dividing. And when they're dividing, if you're already low in, in electrolytes, those cells that were already deficient in electrolytes, now you have twice as many. Mm. So now you're twice as deficient as electrolytes. Make sense? Yes. Because they split. They they divided. Now you have more of them. So now you're more iron deficient. You're more electrolyte deficient. You're you're more potassium and magnesium deficient. So I really, really recommend across the board for everyone, basically, uh, this is one supplement I do really recommend, is electrolytes. Okay. And and potassium, the, the RDA for potassium is four grams. And most people are not getting four oh, grams yeah. of potassium a day. It's hard. And supplements, uh, the, the, the max you can use in a pill, according to the FDA, is 99 milligrams. Oh, my gosh. So it's, it's very inferior. So in, in my electrolyte that I formulated called Optimal Electrolyte, I'm, I'm shooting from the hip here, but we have about four to 500 milligrams of potassium per serving. Mm. And uh, it's something that I take every single day. And we're, we're creating a, uh, just a straight potassium supplement uh, right now, which I've already proved that we're making. That's, inf- that's amazing information. Um, I, I was going to dive into some personal stuff too, but there's so many other listener questions. But it was, it was having to do with electrolyte supplementation on the um, ketogenic diet and they mm. talk about how important it is, especially in the beginning when you are attempting it, which I am. And um, I have noticed, I guess some people are more susceptible to like, I guess that keto flu type um, symptoms yeah. in the beginning. And I definitely like have a rash and like <laughs> definitely downing a bunch of like electrolytes right now to try and combat that. But well, you will need more sodium than potassium okay. with this diet. I mean, you if you're not getting enough potassium, um, that's also a problem. But you you tend to spill more sodium on a ketogenic diet than you do uh, potassium. Okay. So I mean, some people talk about you need upwards of five grams of sodium a wow. day in addition. Um, so that's a lot. That and, is a lot. Uh, but if you notice cramping or spasming, um, you know, load up on the sodium. Okay. Now, I, I am not a fan of the ketogenic diet okay. per se. I'm more of a fan of, of uh, fat adapted mm-hmm. um, rather than going full on ketogenic diet. I think ketogenic diet has absolute benefits for sure. 
you know, for people who are, you know, dealing with cancer or epilepsy mm -hmm. or uh, mood dysregulation, mood disorders, um, addictive behaviors, I think it's fantastic. Uh, weight loss, it's also great. Um, but I, I, I think that, well, I know personally from, mm -hmm. from my own viewpoint, I could not handle the ketogenic diet because I have what's called a fast Maui gene I was born with, okay. uh, which I discussed in the book. And my desire for carbohydrates uh, is pretty strong. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of a carb craver. Uh -huh. and I have to rein that in and control it. The problem is when you're on a ketogenic diet, you need to limit your carbs. Mm -hmm. And so your the carbs also provide, uh, they provide tryptophan. And long story, but proteins don't really. Okay. Um, even though they have it, there's a reason for that. But anyway, so carbs provide tryptophan, which lead to your serotonin. And serotonin leads to melatonin. And so if you're eliminating carbs or really, really reducing them on a ketogenic diet and you have a fast Maui, your serotonin levels drop. So your moods tend to drop and you become more depressed. Mm -hmm. And then also your sleep, you fall asleep, but you can't stay asleep. So now your rest is affected. So I noticed both of these was on the ketogenic diet and I, I felt like a failure. <laughs> and I, 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 tr I just found myself gunning down these peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and tortillas and uh, uh, chips and salsa and right. just junk. And, I, and then I tried keto again and then I was great on the keto again. I felt good, but then I started binging again. I'm like, okay, what the heck's going on? And I looked at my genetic report and I was like, oh. That's why. That's well, so why. that kind of leads into this next question. It's kind of an, an opening of that. So you mentioned fat adapted. Um, this listener's asking about genetics inclined toward obesity that I guess she has some genetic markers in which her family really expresses obesity, even when they follow a quote unquote sensible diet and regular exercise. And so, you know, we've all, it just, people will say things, carbs are the devil, sugar is the devil, you should be on keto, you should be on paleo, like all of these different things. And you mentioned fat adapted in terms of, and it might not be a direct question or answer to this question, but can you tell us a little bit more about that? And is that something that you found? What are your thoughts on, on obesity and dieting and, and all that jazz? I, yeah. So obesity is, is the inability to burn fuel mm -hmm. efficiently. And so that's it. And so you need to understand why is the body storing excess fuel? And there are genes that are called thrifty genes, which will tend to hold on to fuel for people uh, in periods of starvation. And, and these were passed on um, to generations. And this was this is actually called translational epigenetics, where the the future mother and father were uh, living in a famine, you know, in England or Ireland, and and uh, they were starving during pregnancy, literally. And mm -hmm. the baby was made it to term. And so the baby made it to term and it, the genes changed in terms of their function and they're able to, uh, sustain themselves on very low fuel. Mm -hmm. And so they're born into the real world, which is now not a famine anymore, but the genes are programmed to survive in a famine because that's what natural selection is all about. Right. Mm -hmm. So these babies who live during these famine periods of time are born with what's called thrifty genes. And so they, they don't need to eat very much at all and they can be fine, but they're also have a propensity towards, uh, holding the weight if they get it. Okay. So as we age and we're, we're being more social and we have food everywhere, 
um, yeah, these thrifty genes can can definitely uh, lead us to weight gain. Now, it's also inflammation. It's also microbiome. It's also uh, timing of feeding. It's also the type of exercise. Maybe you're too low, uh, too high. Um, overtraining is a problem. Um, in fact, I, I met with one of my uh, uh, realtors who helped me get home, and uh, she came into a meeting and she walked in and I hadn't seen her in a, about a year. And I, I thought it was her, but I wasn't sure. <laughs> and she, she, she goes, Hey Ben. I was like, Oh, Hey, how you doing? And she goes, I'm great. I said, like, yeah, you, you lost how much I, you lost weight. I didn't want to be rude. <laughs> right. She goes, yeah, I lost about 140 pounds. And I, and she goes, I used to be really struggling. I said, what'd you do? She goes, I cut down on my exercise and I supported my hormones, which were all out of whack, and I supported my microbiome. She goes, I was eating right, I was training too hard, I wasn't getting enough sleep, and my hormones were out of whack from the stress, and so I just changed my hormones, I changed my stressors, and I reduced my exercise, and the weight just flew off. Wow. So that, uh, and Sarah Gottfried, uh, she's an MD who wrote uh, some book on this as well, can't remember of it. It's the hormone cure, I think. Okay. Um, but you can look up her book on, on Amazon. It has something to do with hormones. Okay. Um, but uh, she she has a, it's a really supports weight loss there too. But I'm all about eating until eighty percent satiety um, and stopping. And then I'm also really into what's called time restricted feeding, mm-hmm. uh, meaning that you're fasting for at least twelve hours a day. Um, and upwards of 12 to 16 hours a day, if comfortable, 12 hours a day, everybody should be able to hit that. That's eight o'clock yeah. in the evening till eight o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Everyone should be getting that. If you're not hit that first and, and eat until 80% full, if you're not full, then you're stressed out and you're inflamed because if you're constantly hungry, you have stress and you have inflammation and, uh, you will not be able to get full unless you address both of those. Absolutely. And then could you dive or not dive, but maybe you said you mentioned fat adapted now. And I've the book I'm reading about ketosis is more in line with that. It's not a hard and fast like you need to be in ketogenesis like all the time. Um, But what is your take on what is your view of what being fat adapted means? Being fat adapted means that you can burn all fuels at any time of day. And so most people, their biochemistry and their cells are so dirty and their genes are so dirty that they can't even burn carbohydrates. They can't burn protein and they can't burn uh, fat as fuel. So they're constantly are hangry. They're constantly eating. They constantly need sugar and uh, quick glycemic carbs to get them that energy that they so desperately want and deserve. And that's just is a vicious cycle because it mm-hmm. keeps the inflammation up and the stress up. So what has to happen is you need to clean the genes that burn carbohydrates and burn protein and burn fat. And that is a process and, and dirty genes helps you do that, uh, in the book. So you, the lifestyle that I teach you helps you be able to burn multiple fuels. And so I've noticed that I can burn fat and, or I can burn carbs and protein very, very well. Mm-hmm. And if I overtrain, undertrain, or if I'm stressed out or inflamed, I cannot burn fat very well. Burning fat is very metabolically efficient and it's very difficult to do uh, this day and age because we're go, 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 go. 
and the you know it's easy to become inflamed and it's easy to be stressed out. And if either of those are the case, um, then our fat burning machinery just stops. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and that has to do with survival as well. And it's, it's a, it's our genes doing their job and we're giving them the wrong instructions. So they're not burning the fat. They're dealing with danger instead. Okay. So genes respond to our influences. So I will say in order to be fat adapted, you have to get your sleep right. You have to get your exercise dialed in. Um, do not exercise when you're exhausted or tired or late at night. Um, just don't do it. Um, alter your schedule to, to do that. Also make sure that you're breathing properly. Most people do not breathe properly. Uh, Patrick McEwen's book, The Oxygen Advantage is great. Plus he's got a great, uh, Ted, uh, TEDx talk on breathing. Um, okay. it's Patrick, Patrick McEwen. Uh, and then you have to make sure that you have adequate liposomal glutathione on board because if you're, if you do not have adequate liposomal glutathione, your entire body is dirty and your genes are dirty and they can't function and burn fat. Um, methylation cycle also has to be humming along um, because you need methylation in order to make carnitine, which is a big fat shuttle. Um, and uh, so you need carnitine on board to move fat across membranes. You also need biotin and alpha lipoic acid. And uh, I'm actually working on a supplement now. Um, yeah, I should be receiving the sample any day to help us access these fuels. Wow. Because um, it's, it's hard. And I, you tell people to change their diet, but they physically, genetically can't, mm-hmm. epigenetically can't because their machinery is so messed up. So I've learned which nutrients I need to use in order to get people there. So then they can't actually get off the sugar wheel because they have to eat sugar because that's the only fuel that they can burn. Wow. That is so fascinating. I mean, because you hear it all the time. Like I've heard... Tons and tons of people say, oh, my God, the keto, like being on the keto diet changed my life. I lost 50 pounds. It was great. I felt my brain was functioning amazing. And then you hear from other people that say, I couldn't do it. Like, I was literally a mess. Like, I gained weight. I was just lethargic the whole time. And it just wasn't possible for them. And I think that's huge. And we talk about that a lot on the podcast, too, that it's not a one, like, one size all fits approach one size fits all approach when it comes to like nutrition um and i'm sure in your book you talk about some certain you know diet and lifestyle factors that you know are pretty general and standard but then you know again you talking like you need carbs and protein like that's what your body like thrives on and it's hard it's hard to know that really you know, you just think you're a failure if you don't know yeah, any of that information. You do. You do. And the cool thing is, is, yeah, we the book does have the, the silk and scrub, which is general cleanup for everybody. Mm-hmm. Then you take a more involved quiz. You take two quizzes. You take one quiz before you do the general cleanup. And you take a more involved quiz that shows you if any of those genes got slightly cleaner and, um, you know, if they're still dirty, if they're still dirty, then you clean them in a certain order. You don't clean the dirtiest ones first. It doesn't work that way. Okay. You have to clean them in order. And it's called what I call spot cleaning. And so now you're targeting these genes specifically in order to clean them up. So now it's becoming more unique. And then I, I also references in the reference the in the soak and scrub, the general cleanup recipes to eat. And now you're thinking, oh God, here's a book mm-hmm. where they're recommending recipes, one size fits all. No. This is, I don't know if this is the first book ever done this way, 
But I was told by my publisher, look, you make a meal plan and recipes. And I, I was like, I can't. I, can't. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know the reader. Yeah. I don't know what their genes are. You can't just eat generally. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. She goes, well, you need to figure it out. And uh, you need to have a meal plan. I said, well, the meal plan I can't do, but I can I can tell people how to eat based upon their quiz scores. She goes, perfect. And I said, <laughs> I can also I can also create recipes that people can adapt um, based upon their quiz scores and how their genes are acting and very dirty. So when you read the, in the recipe section, I teach you based upon your quizzes. If you're a slow COMT, I teach you certain ways that you should be eating. If you're a faster COMT, then I adjust it that way. If you're fast or slow MAO-A, you adjust it this way. If you're DAO or PEMT or MTGFR, you adjust it this way. Oh, that's amazing. And uh, it's pretty cool. And the real cool thing is, is your genes will alter in terms of being clean or dirty all throughout your life. And so you can go from slow COMT type to a fast COMT within a day, within half a day. And so you can switch these genes really quickly and how they're working. And then eventually you're going to memorize what you need to do, what lifestyle actions you need to do based upon your quizzes and the recommendations I make in the book. So real time, you can make switches. And so, okay, tonight I'm not going to have the protein. Tonight I'm going to have the protein. Based on how you you feel? Yes. And you learn because you learn what symptoms are related to certain genes and you're going to be, uh, making changes. And I show you these different changes and you, you basically have a, uh, it's not really a book. It's, it's a guide. It's a lifestyle guide. That's amazing. I'm, I'm so happy that I purchased it and I'm probably going to dive in right after we're done and learn some more, but that's amazing. I love that. That answers actually a lot of questions. We have a few more specific ones. I want to, I don't want to keep you too long, but um, a lot of the ones on here you've answered, but talking about food sensitivity, since we're on that subject, um, do you recommend that everyone should avoid gluten? That's a question. Is that just one of those things that you think that people have problems with? I think it is. Okay. And I, I think it is for various reasons. Um, you know, we've hybridized that or whatever you call it. We've bred the, the gluten containing uh, grains to contain even more gluten um, than they used to back in our you know ancestor days. So that's a strike. Um, you know, winter wheat is sprayed with millions of pounds of Roundup, mm-hmm. um, and so that's an exposure. Um, and there's you know Peter Osborne in his book No Grain No Pain. Um, you know, he, he really gets into the whole science of gluten. Uh, he's way more of a gluten expert than I am. I mean, I'm, I'm no comparison to, to what he knows about it. Um, but I, I've tried eating gluten. I grew up on it and mm-hmm. I, I, I had no problems growing up on it. I had no problem growing up on cow dairy either. Mm-hmm. I started having problems when I was in college. Um, actually, you know, in Bastyr in college, I think I was fine, maybe, um, but at Bastyr, I, I started getting uh, a really burnt tongue, like a red tip tongue every time I would eat gluten or wheat and it would hurt and I'm thinking, what the heck? <laughs> um, so I think if, if someone's gut is really strong and uh, they do well on wheat, honestly, and not fooling themselves, you know, go for it as long as it's organic. But I, I, I'm not a fan of it. Um, I don't think honestly, our ancestors even used much wheat. 
um, our ancient ancestors. I mean, they didn't really do much farming back then. Um, you know, I, but I, I'm not an expert on that either, Mm -hmm. but, um, I think it also depends on where your ancestors came from and what foods that they ate because you've inherited their genes. Um, but I, I've tried to eat more gluten lately, um, cause I've developed probiotics that really process histamine very, very well. And so I'm putting them to the test really hard. And, uh, when we were in Russia a few years ago, we ate wheat, we were okay. And then we went back to Russia, uh, we ate wheat reacted. And then we went, uh, again this last summer and I brought this probiotic with me to test and, uh, I ate the wheat. So my kids, um, I don't think my wife did cause she reacts still. And, uh, we were all fine with it and I was fine up until the end of the trip. I started reacting. So was it a different strain? I don't know. And then also mm-hmm. with dairy, um, you know, cow dairy, my middle boy, Matthew, he would get a runny nose and Theo would get a chronic, uh, cough, uh, from eating dairy. Both of those are gone with this new probiotic. They wow. just completely gone. That's um, amazing. so my, my respect for bacteria has really gone up. <laughs> I respect bacteria too. <laughs> yeah. This is That's amazing. amazing. That is amazing. And so we have a few more questions on food sensitivities. Is there a genetic impact on food sensitivity, I guess, display? Big time. Big time. Yes. Okay. Big time. Okay. Big time. Um, so, you know, the, the blood type diet I'm not familiar with. Uh, you know, I think Peter Diadamo wrote a book called even the genotype diet. Uh, I have not read it. Um, I do know that he talks about a gene, which I also test for in strategy called FUT2, F-U-T2, uh, that has to do with, uh, secretors and non-secretors. So basically you, you need to be secreting, uh, stuff in your intestines in order for the probiotics to stick around and hang out. Okay. And if so if you're born as a homozygous FUT2, you are a non-secretor. So your ability to keep the uh, probiotics in, uh, in your gut is harder. So you need more prebiotics around like inulin and fructooligosaccharides and um, uh, large rabinoglactins and so on. Um, and so they're, they're useful. Um, so FUT2 uh, polymorphism definitely is one. Um, and bifidobacter is a, is a huge need for these folks. Um, and then there's also, uh, DAO and DAO is, is not the official gene name. The official gene name is AOC one, but everybody knows it as DAO. And and this is a histamine metabolizing gene, um, that's occurring outside of the cell. And, uh, so it processes histamine from food, drink and bacteria and, there are bacteria which increase histamine uh, a lot, um, and uh, some of them really, really pump it out. And uh, I just had a, a brain fart, so the, the one strain just left my head. Um, <laughs> but um, I had it, and um, uh, it's, it's very common. Uh, they don't even know if it's pathogenic or not because it's so common. It's mm. everywhere. Um, and then there's, uh, oh, blastocystis hominis. Thank you. Thank you, brain. Uh, <laughs> it was in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah. So blastocystis hominis, uh, if you have this, you've got high histamine. And DAO is really working hard on your behalf to get rid of the histamine that's being produced. And so if you're eating histamine-containing foods or drinking histamine-containing uh, drinks such as citrus, orange juice, pineapple juice, um, you know, banana parades, 
um, or drinking red wine, especially, uh, these things will light you up like a candle and you'll feel horrible from them. Mm. And, um, so you'll get nosebleeds, irritable, uh, insomnia, uh, uh, you'll get eczema, psoriasis, exercise induced asthma, asthma itself. Um, you know, you'll, you'll have leaky gut. You'll be more intolerant to various foods. It's just a vicious cycle. So this gene is super, super important. And even if it's not polymorphic, even if you aren't born with a SNP, um, you are going to have issues because it's so easily overwhelmed. And, uh, so the avoidance of histamine is kind of what the recommendations have been across the board. Um, but Yasmina Elkenstam of healinghistamine.com is, is saying, no, that's not the case. And, uh, I'm fully in agreement with her. Uh, I interviewed her for the dirty Jeans summit that we had, um, earlier this winter, which was an exceptional summit. And, uh, she, uh, provided some great insights there. Um, but the, the probiotic I designed is called probiota histaminics. And these are strains of probiotics that have been researched to, uh, consume histamine in the gut. And then it doesn't, if you have too much histamine in the gut, you absorb it in your blood. So you get histamine like symptoms. Mm. So this probiotic is, is really acting like a mop and the results have been exceptional for God, thousands of people already, even though it hasn't even been out a year yet. Um, and then people are, are digging it. I do very well on it. And so do my boys. Okay. If they don't get it, they can't have dairy. If they get it, they can't have dairy. And they, they go to the fridge and take one or two if they have dairy and they're fine. If they forget, they're walking around with symptoms. And I'm wow. like, you guys remember, please? <laughs> You're like, yeah, I have this here. Of, yeah. This is right here for of, you. Yeah. Get rid of that mucus, kid. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Well, that's fantastic. I do have a few more. What do you, th- are you up for just like a rapid fire, um, short answer session so we can sure. finish up? Yep. Okay, great. So question one, suggestions for younger siblings. If an older one has autism, should we ge- genetically test the toddler or just assume certain SNPs? Well, I, I think that genetic testing is always valuable if you're in the right mindset mm-hmm. and if you understand what how to use it. So I, I highly recommend Dirty Genes as step one, and then you can move to genetic testing using 23andMe's simple, cheap report and then running it through Strategene, I think can be very, very useful. Um, the Facebook group there is also very supportive and they get it. Um, so I think it can be useful because you can identify weak links and susceptibilities and to help reduce the the risk of autism uh, in your uh, next child, even in the child who also has autism, um, you know, making sure you do the same thing too. But just don't focus on treating the genes, gotcha. but understanding what their functions are so you can support them. And just a quick question about strategy. Do you, so you run that through that report. Do you guys give information or do you recommend following up with someone that can interpret it? Like, does it lead you or give you information on how to interpret the report? Uh, we have videos in the pin post okay. and the strategy and Facebook group that you have access to. Um, so you, you learn as you go. Um, and we have individuals who want to learn and do a lot of self-help mm-hmm. um, and figure stuff out. We have other individuals who get the report and they're like, oh my God, I don't get it. <laughs> and they, they're just looking for a doc right away. Right. And so we have both. And okay. so we, we link to you know a directory for people 
and then we have resources to, to teach you. And if you really want to get down and dirty, we have online courses that you can also purchase and learn more. Perfect. Great. I know a lot of people are probably going to be very interested in that. Um, next question. Five most important ways to keep baby's genes, quote unquote, clean or however many important ways. It doesn't have to be five, but a kind of a, a just the general gist or do you yeah. have what, what do you think? Yeah. Okay. Uh, breastfeeding. Okay. Bam. Number uh, one. Probiotics. Okay. Uh, you know, uh, huge, uh, pregnancy support all throughout the pregnancy and then making sure the woman is on a prenatal, uh, during breastfeeding as well, not okay. just during pregnancy because your, your breast milk is full of nutrition and delivering it through the breast milk to the baby. So supplement your baby via your breast milk via the supplements you yourself are taking. Um, and those supplements would include a, a solid prenatal, uh, optimal prenatal protein powder is, is the best one that we have. It's the easiest. Um, the next one would be optimal prenatal capsules. And if you're trying to find easy, you're just super busy. We have the chewable one as well. Um, and then vitamin D, uh, for you is also incredibly important. Um, women who are, uh, pregnant, uh, during the low sun uh, months, uh, tended to have increased risk of autism compared to those who did not have uh, uh, sun exposure. So making sure you're getting vitamin D um, during breastfeeding as well, um, or toddlers even, and giving them uh, just some liquid vitamin D and then some added K2 is, is important as well. Um, probiotics are huge. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there's a probiotic infant that we have. That's a powder that you can just, uh, stick your clean pinky in the container and then, uh, stick your, uh, you know, pad up and then put it in your mouth, uh, the baby's mouth okay. and let them suck on your finger or you can just, um, however you want to do it. Um, but that's to me is the best way. That's what we did for our kids. Okay. Uh, um, and then, uh, another one was the environment making sure that you're limiting chemicals in the environment. So what toys are they using? Um, they should be phthalate free or, or, you know, get rid of those things. Um, carpets in the home, get rid of them. You can have rugs, um, you know, but get rid of carpets. Um, and rugs should be wool and, and clean and with, you know, little to no chemicals. Um, you know, mattresses should be, uh, you know, we use Naturepedic for our boys. And uh, air purifiers should be rolling. I let them get in the dirt and crawl around outside and who cares, you know, if, as long as your yard is organic and, uh, you're not spraying garbage around there, um, let them put stuff in their mouth, you know, don't yeah. let them choke obviously, but let them get out there in dirty and don't freak out. Yeah. Um, and, uh, let them get a variety of things and, um, but really limit the chemicals cause they're everywhere and that's so much work for your baby's genes. And then do not get them the hepatitis B vaccine upon birth and do not give them flu shots. And um, they are going to gravitate towards sweet foods. Mm-hmm. And so the second you give them sugar, their palate is going to like want more. Mm-hmm. So try to limit the introduction of of sweet processed goods and mm-hmm. use natural fruits and, and things like that until hopefully they get older. It's pervasive. It's everywhere. So they're going to get hit with it. But there's a great book called Permission to Parent and uh, use it and uh, don't be afraid to say no. I let my kids eat garbage and junk food. <laughs> I eat garbage right. and junk food. Yeah. But I, I really try to teach them um, the harms that that has. Absolutely. So they can make those decisions, hopefully, when you're not around, right? Like, right. Yeah. Um, and so you mentioned breastfeeding. And I don't want to dive too much into this, but if someone 
can't breastfeed for whatever reason, um, it's just not an option for them, is there anything they can do? Because a lot of this stuff is the mother taking these supplements or things and passing it on to their child through breast milk. Um, is it available to those those infants who aren't breastfeeding via any other f- forms? Well, it's something I'm working on, and okay. uh, I gotta I gotta get it wrapped up. I I tend to formulate and let it sit and stew. Um, you know, for example, it took me three years to formulate the, the prenatal, mm-hmm. um, and it took me about two to three years to do the probiotic and I, it's, it's wrapping up to be about three years already for the, for the infant formula. So it's something I got to get done. Okay. Um, the, there's a goat, um, Capra, mm-hmm. Mount Capra. Mm-hmm. Um, they have some stuff, uh, for making goat, uh, milk formulas for kids, um, but, uh, you know, I'm not, I, it's, it's the better ones out there. Um, but they're not great. I would use the, um, you know, if you're using a formula, you can get their goat milk products and colostrum and so on and, mm-hmm. and mix your own. But in terms of vitamin nutriture, um, I would maybe look at the optimal multivitamin powder that we have at Seeing Health and use a, a fraction of the dose um, to support them in there, you know, like use a eighth of a, the serving or something. Okay. That makes sense. And and pop that in there. That way you're getting the active, great quality nutrients. Plus you're getting the goat milk and the colostrum, um, from Mount Capra. And, uh, I will be uh, getting this wrapped up. Awesome. I'm so excited to share that. We get a lot of questions about, uh, from mamas who aren't able to breastfeed and really, really, really want to like set up their kids as best as they can, for optimal gut health and, you know, all of that good stuff. And so that your product that you're possibly, I mean, hopefully coming out with soon will fill a huge need, um, for a lot of mamas. Yeah. And, you know, also inverted nipples, you yeah. can reverse those mm-hmm. uh, naturally. So if you have an inverted nipple, um, you know, look on Amazon for inverted nipple, uh, devices. And, uh, I used to sell them years ago when I had a, a health product store, and, um, I forget the name of these things, but they're like nipple shields. Nipple shields? Yeah. Yeah. But they're, they're not, they're, they're, they're kind of like nipple shields. But um, but they actually work on, uh, everting the nipple. Okay. It's not intended to breastfeed. It's, it's meant to, to retract, uh, to pull out the nipple itself. Okay. Um, without surgery. Cause if you have surgery for an inverted nipple, then your breastfeeding ability is gone. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for that. That's amazing information. Um, let's see. I think we've pretty much answered most of it. We have, um, okay. So two more quick ones. Um, autoimmunity and genes. Is there a gene for autoimmune disease? Can diet lifestyle keep that gene turned off? This particular listener has celiacs. Her mom has Crohn's. Her mother-in-law has multiple sclerosis and she has an eight month old who they really want to protect from all of that that storm of genetic or chronic illness. Yeah. So celiac disease. Yeah. That's something that you're going to have. And that's, you got to avoid gluten hundred percent of the time, 110% Mm -hmm. of the time. You can't be 99% gluten free with Mm -hmm. celiac disease. You got, it's gotta be all gone. Um, so, um, you got it. That's a big one. Now in terms of Crohn's and ulcerative colitis and rheumatoid and MS, um, there are definite genes that we talked about earlier that increase the immune response to little things and they go crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you have TNF alpha, 
um, genes or IL-1 or IL-6, um, these, these genes will uh, really uh, turn on inflammation and keep it on uh, until you have to make a strong intervention to, to turn it off. Um, so we, we test some of these in strategy right now. We have TNF-alpha in there. There's also uh, genes which reduce your ability to uh, get rid of reactive oxygen species, which are also increased during times of infection because reactive oxygen species kill pathogens. So you need to make sure that you are identifying hidden pathogens and getting rid of them. So viruses, um, bacteria, um, uh, molds, uh, lime, uh, yeast, these are all really important to catch. H. pylori is a, is a real uh, nuisance because your body will try to kill it, but it cannot kill it. It can't. It, it just can't. Um, so you, you have to step in there and kill it yourself with, with other tools like uh, mastic gum and zinc carnosine and gut healing stuff and making sure your stomach acid is, is being pumped out because if you're on antacids, your risk for H. pylori goes way, way up and that will itself cause a huge flurry of, of problems. And if you have those genes, which I mentioned earlier, then H. pylori itself can trigger an autoimmune condition. Um, so that it's a, it's a huge issue. Um, so yes, there are many, many genes which trigger autoimmunity. In fact, we've, again, you know, we've, we found papers that support this and we're working on different, uh, reports that, that, uh, people can order to, to figure all that out. And it's a long process, but Mm -hmm. you know, we, we expect to have something, um, going by, uh, end, very end of 2018 or, or first quarter 2019, um, for people to really dive deeper. That's amazing. Um, seems like you have a lot of, of really amazing things in the works too, just about to come out to based on what your work is finding, I guess, quote unquote solutions for some of the specific problems that people are having. Yeah. So we, we, you know, I've learned a lot about the problems and I I had to summarize all the problems and create the basic solutions in dirty genes. So Mm -hmm. dirty genes provides the answers for the majority of the simple thing people struggle with, the day-to-day symptoms and, and the, the concerns that they have for disease prevention, that's all in Dirty Genes, and it's a great resource. If they want to dive deeper, they can from the appendices uh, found in the book mm-hmm. and the resources that are mentioned. Now, in terms of, of getting more uh, details, yeah, we're, we're working on more and more solutions. That's what SeekingHealth.com is for and uh, Strategene is for, and so that's what we're doing in online courses as well. Um, so yeah, we have a lot in the works. Awesome. Um, okay. The questions keep popping up, but we seriously, these are the last two. And I just, I, I don't normally run this long when we record. It's just, I feel like these questions are so powerful and so amazing. I hope you have time for two more. Is that okay? Yeah. Okay. Let's do it. Uh, first one, quick and simple, how much protein was probably not quick and simple, but how much protein should someone with MTHFR consume? And does this change with pregnancy? Um, well, protein consumption does change with pregnancy because you're growing a baby and you're growing a placenta. So your protein needs do increase during pregnancy, which is why optimal prenatal protein powder, uh, which is a smoothie based, uh, prenatal with, I think 14 grams of, uh, protein, is my first choice because a lot of pregnant women uh, do not get sufficient protein, especially the first trimester because they have uh, horrible nausea and they don't want to eat. And um, people are utilizing the prenatal protein powder 
to also abate their nausea and vomiting. So Mm -hmm. it doesn't work in all cases, um, but in some cases it's definitely getting rid of their nausea and, and, and vomiting of pregnancy because it's designed to do that as well through various nutrients that I've added to it. Okay. So yes, your, 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 uh, your protein needs do increase. Do they increase because of empty Jafar? Uh, no, not because of empty Jafar. Okay. Um, but they, they increase for pregnancy itself and there's other genes which increase the need for protein such as a faster COMT, uh, gene, which I describe in the book, because if you have a faster COMT gene, uh, your tyrosine, which is an amino acid, which comes from protein, uh, you're burning through that. And if you're not getting enough protein, you're going to feel kind of dumb and spaced out. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's, you're, you're not going to be happy with yourself and you'll also be depressed. Okay. And, and so that's why I modulate the recipes based upon that. If you have a slower COMT, you don't need, uh, as much protein in the evening. In fact, you might not even want any. Okay. Makes sense. Okay. And then last one, this one sounds a little complex, but hopefully it's not too much trouble for you. He, they write, would love to hear your thoughts on compound heterozygous mutations in little, little ones. They have a two-year-old. What if you know their mutations, but aren't sure if slash how they could be manifesting? Is there anything that they can be looking for? Um, yeah. So, if you have compound heterozygous MTHFR, I'm sure they're referring to that one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this gene, again, you always need to understand what the function is of the genes. And that's what I walk you through mm-hmm. of the seven genes in the book, dirty genes. You you first understand its function and, and MTHFR's job is to make methylfolate. That's his job. And so in order to and, and make methylfolate, it has to have a working gene. So it needs vitamin B2. It needs a good thyroid um, you know, cause thyroid, uh, supports MTHFR function and you need to eliminate folic acid. So those are huge ones. Getting greens in your kid is important. Um, and, uh, also tough to do. Um, and then what you can be looking for is you can be looking at their, uh, speech. You know, if they're too young for speech, then I'd look at their, their, uh, muscle tone. You know, a lot of babies that are young, they're kind of chubby and flubby and, you know, make it around a bit. But as the kids get older, you should start seeing more uh, muscle tone. And if you're not seeing the muscle tone and they're weak, they're not able to hold their head up or they can't roll over or their milestones are, are not being hit. Uh, I would be concerned that MTHFR might be playing a role here because MTHFR's job is also to help, you know, is to support methylation, right? Mm -hmm. That's why I call it the methylation master in the book. And creatine formation is a very, very, uh, demanding, uh, thing to do, uh, for, for little ones because their, their muscles are growing, should be, and their creatine needs are growing as their muscles uh, grow. And if they're not able to produce creatine because of the methylation cycle isn't working because MTHFR is a mess, then they're going to be weak. And so by giving them creatine supplementation, uh, in their, in their formulas or in mixed in their foods, um, then, you know, in something little like 250 milligrams, if it's, it's a young one, um, you know, I would start there even at any age, I'd start lower at 250 milligrams and seeing health has an optimal creatine that is very well absorbed in kids. It doesn't really cause bloating or indigestion. It's bound to magnesium, which is also useful, but lack of muscle tone and a weak, um, or not meeting milestones is, is a good sign of a creatine deficiency. Okay. Fantastic. You, we have talked for almost two hours. I might have to split up this, um, 
interview into two possibly we'll see but people are are really already asking me when it's going to come out so we might have to just release it in its two-hour glory um but (laughs) thank you so much this has been so phenomenal i am just blown away by all this information and i feel very empowered and hopefully our listeners will feel empowered to kind of take charge get the book do their reading do the research and um, invest in you know making some lifestyle changes, environmental changes, and then further testing if, if need be. Um, that's my hope. That's, that's what I hope that they take away from this episode. But thank you so much. Can you, can you tell us where we can find you at, how to connect with you, your website, um, and all of that good stuff? Yeah, so you can find me at drbenlynch.com, and uh, I've got social media there. I'm pretty active on Facebook decent on Instagram. Not really. My kids say my feet sucks. Dad, your feet sucks. <laughs> yeah, whatever. And, uh, so, but yeah, my Facebook, uh, is, is quite active. And then, uh, it links to the various tools that I have too, like strategy and, okay. and online courses and then seekinghealth.com. Uh, you can find many of the supplements that we talked about. Well, all the supplements that we talked about. Okay. And, uh, yeah, so that's, that's it. And, and, you know, we did talk a lot about a stuff here and, and, uh, yeah, I really highly recommend that the best place to start is not via running to seeking health and getting supplements or running strategy and getting genetics done. It's going to a bookstore and picking up a copy of dirty mm-hmm. genes. That's really, you know, you start understanding how these genes work, how you work and, uh, don't, don't read the book to fix your kid or your significant other, read it to support you first mm-hmm. and then work through that. And then you can, you know, work with your child's autism or your child's ADD, but do it on you first. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's, that's huge. And as mothers, many of our listeners are moms. It's just, it's something that we usually fail to do. We want to take care of everybody else around us. And, you know, we're actually suffering from a lot of those things, but it's not something that we look to first. So I'm, I'm so glad that you said that, that it's, you know, do it on yourself first, get yourself you know, experiment with yourself and deep dive into your own health. And then, like you said, turn, turn outward to your family. So that's, that's huge. Thank you again so much for being with us. Um, just a quick little blurb about us. You can find us again. Um, we're the modern mama's podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us mostly on Instagram at laura.radicalroots and at jessholdthespace.com or com. It's been two hours. My brain is fried with all this information. <laughs> Just dot hold the space on Instagram. Um, email us with questions or ideas for interviews at modernmamaspodcast at gmail.com. But again, thank you so much, Dr. Lynch. If you want to hang on for a second um, after we end, then I will uh, chit chat with you a bit more. Thanks for being here. Okay. Bye. Thanks for listening to our podcast. See you next time.